Yo, Minasan, Manga Sensei Podcast. Everybody, welcome to the Manga Sensei Podcast. I'm your host, John Sensei, breaking down the world's best language for you in five minutes or less every single day, except here on the weekends where I interview the movers and shakers in the Japanese and linguistic world. Today, I'm interviewing the infamous Ollie Richards, hyper polyglot world traveler, um, guy who talks about contentious subjects on the internet. And uh, all around, uh, you know, blogger guy. Blogger How's it guy. going on? There you go, blogger guy. That's that's my dream dream job title. Yeah, uh, uh, well, man. Should I put like sama on the end there? Made it a little bit better. Yeah, oli oli sama. That's more. Uh, yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> okay, oli sama to kata de gozaimasu. Dozo yoroshiku negai moshiyagimasu. So, Ollie, for those who don't know who you are, if there are people on my podcast. I, I got a lot of, uh, you know, manga nerds here that are checking in because uh, we're all cool over here. Who are you? Who am I? Yeah, so my name is Ollie, and I'm from the UK. And um, I guess what I'm mostly known for is uh, is languages. Um, so I have a website called I Will Teach You a Language. And I started this um, about five years ago. Just, you know, it was tip- one of those stories. It was a rainy Sunday afternoon. And... Um, Actually, it wasn't rainy. It was really hot because I was living in, in Qatar <laughs> in the Middle East at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's like the, the Middle Eastern equivalent of a rainy Sunday afternoon with nothing to do. And I, and, I, and I just started blogging about languages because I've had this long history with languages. And, um, and I, I've learned a bunch of them myself. And, um, and I've kind of always really been interested in languages. And... But, but more specifically in language learning and how we can learn um, second languages and foreign languages. Uh, that's what I like. I like to, to, to learn languages so that I can uh, communicate with people from different parts of the world so I can travel and um, step off the plane and speak the language of the place that I am. Um, and so I've always, I've always kind of done that on the side. And then I, I started blogging about it because I thought it would be quite cool to do so. And that, that then kind of grew and blossomed and, uh, and I started making YouTube videos and writing more blog posts and then more recently um, released a series of books with Teach Yourself and um, a bunch of, bunch of other things. So that's, um, that's me in a nutshell. I'm also recovering yeah, so from I a mean, cold, you're not only... so my voice is it's about two octaves lower than it, it normally is. I'll pause every time I cough, though, so try and keep it clean. You're, you're good, you're good. I've uh, I've 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 had a couple of those days myself as of late. I have and I have a giant nose, so it doesn't make it much better. And so uh, that's why we record podcasts out like a week ahead, just in case. Yeah, good policy. So I, you have a very unique uh, way you learn languages. Uh, you have um, a series of books. Where you have historically learned languages through reading stories i i remember hearing one of your stories where you were i want to say you were in peru maybe bolivia and uh you had you had something happen to you and you stayed up all night and you started well because you could you're worried about not breathing or something right yeah 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 Yeah, so can um, you kind of break that down for me yeah absolutely yeah so this happened to me back in 2000 I, I, I get a bit foggy on the year, 2004, 2005, something like that. And I was uh, traveling in Argentina. 
And I've been Argentina, Argentina, which is an amazing country. For anyone who hasn't been, it's just it's it's a country with everything, like literally everything. And it's it's not really on the on the kind of big traveler map. Um, it's not in the same way that like Thailand and and uh, and places like that are. But it really is mm-hmm. amazing. And I, I've been learning Spanish for a while, so I was really, you know, wanted to go there. So I was uh, I was traveling up in the northwest of the country. Um, I believe that's Sal- Salta, the province of Salta, but I, it's been, been a while, so I'm not totally sure. And it, I was up in this village, right up in the mountains on the corner of Bolivia, and it's this beautiful village called Irusha, like ma- typical mountaintop village, you know, where you can just see for, <sighs> see for, I mean, it's stunning. Anyway, it was very, the altitude was pretty high, and so um, I, I, one night I was, I was traveling with some friends and we'd gone out for this amazing steak dinner, you know, and the steaks in Argentina are just, I mean, if you've never had a steak in Argentina, you don't know what a steak is, really. Like, it is, it's just something, yeah, there are no words. You're missing out there on are no, There are no words for this. So we just had one of our, like, daily steak and wine dinners and uh, we'd gone to bed. And then I woke up at, like, three, half two, three in the morning and I couldn't breathe. Uh, which I sort of realized now is because of the altitude. I don't think I clocked it then, but I, I couldn't breathe. And, mm. and it was um, pretty pretty scary. So I kind of jumped out of bed and ran outside and just tried to move around a bit, try and get some oxygen flowing through my, through my, uh, through my, through my lungs. And, right. uh, and it, and it, but, no, but nothing. And I was sort of sit, standing out on this balcony looking over this kind of haunting uh, valley of this village beneath me. And um, I couldn't breathe, and it was really terrifying. And I, and I kind of thought, well, you know, this this is where it ends, right here on, on top of this mountain. And um, obviously, luckily, eventually, the breathing did come back because I'm I'm here telling the story now. Um, but it was, you know, it, it felt like a real close one. And and I was so shaken by that that I couldn't go back to bed. Obviously, right. And so well, who could? Yeah. And this was before the days of mobile phones and all that stuff. So the only thing I could do was just sit up on this balcony and I reached into my, my bag and grabbed this book in Spanish, which I bought a couple of weeks ago, like with you know, this kind of fantasy that I was going to read a book in Spanish. I kind of knew deep down that I would, never would, but I bought it anyway mm-hmm. because that's what we do with books, isn't it? We just, we just buy them. <laughs> and I started reading this book and it was a, a really great book by Gabriel Garcia Marquez called um, Crónica de una muerte anunciada, which is the chronicle of a death foretold in English. It's quite a short book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I started reading it, and um, I, I really struggled because I'd never read a book in Spanish before. But I kind of pressed right. on because I had nothing else to do, and I was too scared to go back to bed. And so I kept reading, and I kind of made some progress. I didn't have a dictionary, so I couldn't look up words. I just had no choice but to just keep reading through, turning the pages and reading. Didn't think anything mm-hmm. else, anything more of it. But then the next day, as I was walking through the, this village, I, re- I, I noticed that there were all these words popping into my head. Words that I'd never, I'd never known before last night. And they were words from the stories. There were words like el obispo, which is the word for bishop in Spanish. And um, ah. I, I certainly didn't know that word in Spanish before, but he's a central character in the story. So that word and a bunch of others kept popping into my head as I was walking down the street. And I thought, wow, this is weird. Because normally when I try to memorize vocabulary in, a, in, a, in another language, it, it lasts about five minutes and then it disappears. Um, right. But these words were just sticking without me trying, without me doing anything special. So I, it was, mm-hmm. you know, it was pretty an interesting moment. 
So over the next few weeks, as we were continued traveling, I kept dipping into the book and reading it, and eventually I got through the entire book in Spanish. And again, I, I, there was lots I didn't understand, um, but I kept kind of pressing through anyway. And by the time I got to the end of the book, I realized I had pretty much followed the, you know, the, the gist of, of, what, of what was going on. But the really cool thing was, when I went back to Buenos Aires afterwards, where we were kind of based, and I spoke in mm -hmm. Spanish with people, and I was having these conversations with people, my Spanish had absolutely transformed. And I was able to, I, my vocabulary had just like 10 x I was much more fluent when I was speaking. I, I, had, I seemed to have the words on the tip of my tongue when I needed them. Um, I was, but I was also really much better able to understand what was going on. And the reason is that I just spent the last couple of weeks immersed in, 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 in this kind of in long form Spanish, you know, long sentences, right. real meaningful stuff, vocabulary coming at me. Very different from the way that we normally study with kind of textbooks or language lessons where everything is broken down and explained. For the first time, I was just surrounded by and immersed in the language. And it had an absolutely transformational effect on, on my Spanish. And um, now, obviously, that, that was a particular moment in time. And it was probably right. at the right time, right place, right time for my Spanish. You know, fair enough. Like, uh, it, it, is, it is what it is. But... I then kind of took this, the important thing I took from this was that I needed to get much more input, much more exposure in the, in the other languages that I wanted to, to learn. And so the way that that changed what I did from then on was rather than kind of base my, my learning on more traditional methods, I mean, I still did some of that, but I also made sure to get as much input, as much exposure, as much immersion, if you like, controlled immersion in, in the languages that I was learning. And, uh, and that's, that really, had more and more over the last 10 years has formed a, a real kind of part, strong part of my, of my approach. And, and most recently, I, I, this summer, you know, as we're speaking now, the summer just gone, uh, I spent three months learning Italian and I, and I did it solely through um, input-based methods. So no studying, no grammar, no lessons, oh, wow. nothing, just input stories and other kinds of um, uh, podcasts and things like that. And I was able to learn it to a fairly good level right. uh, just from that input. And, and I think you touched on quite a few important things there when it comes to language learning and just the, you, when you, when you read that book and though you had language experience before you hit on a theme that I, I find personally important as, you know, manga sensei and I teach Japanese through a comic book and through this podcast is that feeling you get first off when you complete a story that and not only a story that's that's in your native but a lang a story that was written for people in the native language. I remember when I finished my first book in Japanese. I was I felt like I was on fire. I was I was like so happy I completed this book. It was in a book written to English. Out of all the I had completely like a couple like short stories, of course, like a couple tanpen shosetsu, but it was like nothing substantial. And then I read, you know, like Silence in uh, by Endo Shusaku in Japanese and it was amazing and not it was just like you said those when those words start coming to your head and you're not you're not calling them up they're just they're already there it's like when you say the word I a hundred million times you don't have to think about the word I it just comes to you because you know it yeah that's an, you've had that's a situation an amazing, where you've used it it's an amazing moment an amazing feeling and many people um, you know, who, who've got to a high level in a language, if you ask them the question, like, what, what was the first book you read in, in the language, often they will know exactly what that is because it was such a meaningful thing for them. 
Uh, I mean, you know, I, I, I speak some Japanese. Um, it's not, I'm, I'm kind of intermediate, you know, it's not particular, my Japanese is not particularly, um, it's not one of my stronger languages. Uh, but it, I think it probably is one of my favorites because it's just, you know, it's, this, it's such a magical language, uh, as all of it your really listeners is. know. Uh, one of the things I've never really managed to do is to get to the point where I can kind of read a, a complete uh, short set in, in Japanese, like unaided. It's it's because I've never really cracked the, the the kanji thing. I've never spent enough time on reading, and so uh, mm-hmm. one of my big dreams is to be able to kind of read an entire book in Japanese by myself. It's because uh, of that that because I know the magic power of that, and I know what happens when you when you can do that. I've read a bunch of kind of short stories and graded texts and things like that, but I'm looking forward right. to, I'm looking forward to the day when I can read like uh, Murakami or something like that in uh, in uh, in the original Japanese. If I could read one Q84 I've re- in I've Japanese, read I'd be so happy. <laughs> I've read Murakami in English. I don't think I want to attack him in Japanese even. I don't know. He's a, he's a, he's a weird writer to begin with, and he's not my favorite, but he's a – that would just be obs- weird to almost read him in Japanese because he's just so off the wall. I'd always be like questioning myself, be like, wait, what? Like, yeah, he's, he's a, he his other stuff. Right now? He, yeah, I mean I think you know some of his other – was it what the wild sheep – wild sheep – story or something like that i've read a few of his things but yeah i i really loved uh 1q84 and 1q84 is much more real i mean it's still weird but it's like much more kind of grounded in reality and it's the sort of thing that you know you don't have it's much more kind of uh, matter of fact and that's that seems like the kind of the kind of thing that it's not too esoteric and and crazy in terms of the narrative and uh so i thought i thought to myself like given how much i love that trilogy uh that would be the kind of thing that if I could read it, would just be so mm-hmm. so satisfying. There, are, there are a lot of good like um not just shōsetsu. I think a good place even before shōsetsu is something called you know what a tampen shōsetsu is. Tampen shōsetsu it's like, like a one like a one off novel, right? It's like a, a it's like a novelette. Yeah, like a, yeah. What do you call those? Um, you call them um, uh, novella. Yeah, novella. There it is. That novelette, novella. There's a go. That, that's that's the correct one. I've read it, never said it. Um, <laughs> But um, there's a lot of like like Kamino Kozo or um, there's a couple of really 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 simple ones. Um, I ha- I had a collection of that I read a while back, and uh, the thing is there's not very many. Ka- there's more just like manga nowadays, and there's like so many tampen shōsetsu, and the t- manga tends to go on for forever. Although ironically, Tim Ferriss he reads uh, when he's trying to learn another language, he reads One Piece in like every language he's trying to read. He's trying to learn, so he'll read. He starts with you know because he knows the first part of One Piece so well. He starts reading the when he starts learning another language. He reads One Piece in the next language he's trying to learn, which I thought was kind of entertaining. Yeah, I mean whatever whatever floats your boat, right? Whatever you whatever you like, whatever whatever material mm-hmm. uh, kind of excites you. Yeah, definitely a good place to start. So with 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 you as you started to kind of tear through and you know, learn, learn things and use, and use stories and then try to le- leverage that into your language learning ability. What have you, you, you've, what have you seen dis- if you were to distill some of these things down as key principles that you could use in learning languages in general, aside from maybe finding some good stories or you, you have great collections of good stories for numerous languages. I don't believe you have one for Japanese yet. When you do next year, we'll have tw- you back tw- on. 2019, this time next year, hopefully it will be out along with Korean, Chinese, Arabic, and a whole bunch of others. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. So we'll have, hopefully you have those out soon then. But, um, 
from from what do you what are some useful skills that you've distilled down from reading short stories and using them to learn languages? Yeah, so I, I come back to two basic principles. I mean, there are there are a lot of kind of tactical things we could talk about. You know, like right. like um, you know, be, being comfortable not understanding every word and trying to mm-hmm. you know tr- trying to be conscious of, of your of, of reading skills that are not transferring from your L one. Um, things like you know, mm-hmm. uh, actually being able to skim and um, you, you know, there's a, there's a lot of kind of tactical things, but the the, the bigger the bigger picture is important because I think a lot of people who are not insanely motivated can fall down through through getting this wrong. And so there are two things, and these are these are based on principles um, from Stephen Gresham's theories. And the first of which mm-hmm. is is comprehensible input. So it is, for, for people that don't know, comprehensible input is the idea that we don't learn languages through rules and structured tuition, but rather we we learn language when we understand what we are hearing or reading. So basically, you know, if you if you, once you hear, in the case of Japanese, for people who are living in Japan, after you've heard stuff enough times and you start to understand what what people are saying, that's when it becomes learning. That's when you actually learn it yourself. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so the idea behind comprehensible input is that you need to be surrounding yourself by material that is comprehensible, meaning that you can understand it. Now, mm-hmm. a classic example of something that's not comprehensible input is if you, is if you use that Murakami novel. So if you if you right. sort of pick up a, one of his more crazy books and you just start to read it, it's incomprehensible in every sense. You know, there's probably tons of kanji mm-hmm. that are far too hard. It's just weird. There's vocabulary like that's off the charts, like, yeah, that is the epitome of something that's not comprehensible. So in order to learn, you've got to try and find material which is just above your current level. So it's something that you're capable of understanding with a bit of a stretch. That's what we're talking about here. And in terms of quantifying Mm -hmm. this, people give different numbers. Uh, You know, depending on the stage that you're at, I think, you know, a, a, a reasonable area to be looking at somewhere between 70 and 90 percent so if you un- if you can understand about yeah. you know three quarters of what you're reading already i personally like it to be a little bit higher so i'd say more like on the 90 end so like because even 90 percent that means one out of every 10 words you don't know and that's quite a lot when you're reading that's right it's quite a lot mm-hmm. but it but it's also the, the perfect situation because then for every every word you come across that you don't know You've got nine other words that you do know to support it and to give you context. And if you surround mm-hmm. yourself with that level of that kind of material at that level, that comprehensible input, and you just do nothing but hammer that kind of material all day long, you will learn so quickly that it will just it will shock you. So that's point number one, so comprehensible oh, yeah. input. Point number two, which is closely related, is the idea of compelling input. So why do so many people struggle to get anywhere with Japanese? In my view, it's because mm-hmm. the, the, the Japanese learning material, commercially available Japanese learning material, is as dull as dishwater, and it just it's poor, oh, it's terrible. It's, it's poorly so bad. it's poorly it's laid so out. Bad. You know, the typesetting is awful. They use you know Japanese um, publishing conventions and, and stylistically on the page, they it looks totally different from what the Western eyes used to. It's also very um, mm-hmm. very 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 formal. It, there's minimal attempts at anything like humor or interest or, or, or whatever. And 
And uh, you know, I remember tearing my hair out trying to find uh, interesting material, uh, interesting learning material for, for for Japanese. It's the same in many other languages. But the point here is that right. the material you use doesn't only have to be. I mean, comprehens- comprehensible input. That's your sort of first step. But the way to actually take that to the next level and really succeed long term with this kind of approach is to also make it compelling. Because when it's compelling, mm. meaning a story that you love and you cannot put down, and in that situation, all you want to do then is spend your time with the language because you've got compelling yeah. material that you can understand, and that's all you need. Because you you are you are you are like you're you're home and dry uh, when you've got that kind of material. That this, com- this magic combination. Because you can then you want to read the stuff because it's interesting and it's exciting. You can understand it, so you're learning, and you know it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. The trouble is that for non-advanced people, so people who, you know before you before you can handle native level material, it can be very mm-hmm. difficult to find material that is both comprehensible and compelling. That's yeah. difficult, and that's basically what I'm working on solving in my. With my website, with, with my with my books, with my courses, it's it's um, it is fi- producing material that is comprehensible and compelling for people at different languages, different stages, because I really see that as the holy grail for, um, for self-directed learning. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I when we first started Manga Sensei, we wanted to. I mean, I started Manga Sensei out of frustration because I wanted to do something that was, you know. Um, not super boring. I had to do, I did a conversation class at university where they had me memorize a, like a hundred year old poem, a conversation class. And I was like, I'm never going to use this poem. I'm never going to use, I'm not interested in this poem. I love poetry. Ask my wife. We have 14 bookshelves in our house and three of them are full of poetry. Like I like poetry, but I'm not going to memorize this art, this random poem from nowhere that I have no interest in. And so we started teaching, you know, Japanese in the podcast, then eventually going into like doing a comic book where it's interesting with a dynamic story and then putting it, you know, having that grammar there so it could be advanced with native speakers actually doing, because I'm not a native, I'll never be native, but it's, I, I, I agree with that so much because when it took me forever when I was first learning Japanese, even when I got to like the high intermediate or advanced level, it was like, I want to find something that I'm interested in. I don't want to read, you know, texts about bankers. I, I'd have no interest in that. Yeah, bankers, and that's or, what was or, available. Or all the other classics, you know, tea ceremony, golden week, um, or bon, um, the uh, various matsuri. Uh, there's, there's, mm-hmm. Yeah, everything, and this cultural stuff is important. It is, but you learn oh, that. Is. But you learn that stuff anyway. Through just being in Japan, yeah, and being you, exposed to it, you don't. You, if all of your learning material is like, okay, now let's look at how you do a tea ceremony, and now let's look at what, you know, wh- how you make um, um, the what's the okonomiyaki. name? Okonomiyaki. Okonomiyaki or the food for shogatsu. What's what's the name of? The, I've forgotten the name of the, the three tiered uh, uh, food that you that you prepare for for, for shogatsu. Uh, you know, all all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's just, uh, just not I know what you're talking about. The, the it's not the old end; it's something else. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've, I've just drawn a blank on that. But yeah, but it's totally. It's, it's it's just there's nothing interesting about that, and um and you know instead we that's it. This is why I like stories so much, and my stories are so powerful because story, we communicate through stories. This is how we that's transmit right. information. It's it's what excites us. It's what um 
it's the basis of all. It really is the foundation of all human communication. And uh, yeah. anyway, if you've ever had that sensation of, of not being able to put a book down, then you've seen what's possible with the right material. Yeah. And that I, I, I and I think if that's when things start clicking for people. I think there are moments when learning a language. I mean, of course, it's a steady incline, and depending on how much time you have and how much effort you have in the situation you're where you're learning the language, whatever the language is, Japanese or otherwise. Um, but there's moments that things start clicking together. And the sooner you can have those kind of clicking moments where it's, you know, okay, that's how hiragana works. That makes sense. Or whether it's, okay, this is how the grammar is structured in Japanese. I got it. Okay. Onomatopoeia can be taken seriously, you know, things like that. But when you have things that you read good books or have a good conversation, I was watching a, one of your videos recently where you're talking about, um, these for a couple months ago where you were in, uh, Hong Kong, I believe, and you're getting your hair cut. And uh, yeah. you, ha- you decided you weren't going to worry about, you know, your Cantonese. You had been speaking Japanese for months beforehand. And uh, you said, you know, what? screw it. I'm going to speak Cantonese and I'm just going to have a nice conversation with this guy while I'm stuck here in this chair. And you had a lovely conversation. Yeah, and this is, um, this is, and one, I, of, this is one of the, um, I mean, I guess it, it kind of sounds a bit simplistic as it is. But this, this kind of relates to the idea of, um, so there's a concept in learning where there are two different modes of learning. One is called the focus mode and the other is called the diffuse mode. This was popularized mm-hmm. um, by um, Dr. Barbara Oakley, who, who is a uh, learning expert and a best-selling author. And she, mm-hmm. um, she talks about this idea of focus mode and diffuse mode, usually within the context of one study session or one morning of study. The idea is that in order to learn any information, Two things have to happen. First of all, you have to process the information in a focused, conscious way. Mm-hmm. That's the focus mode. But then you also have to go away and do something completely different so that your brain can then really make sense of it in the background. And that's the diffuse mode. So typically, right. this might be the idea of um, you know, having a 45-minute study session followed by a 15-minute walk to clear your head. It's during that 15-minute walk that the stuff that you've consciously learned beds down and becomes learned knowledge in your brain. Right. right. Now, extending this out over a longer period of time, such as learning a language over a period of years, months or years, for me, it's really important to have those up and down times during that period. You cannot just, mm-hmm. you know, if someone sets out to learn Japanese in two years, for example, in general, you, the, best, the best way to do that is not to study every day without a break because you can't, the way to, to really learn the language uh, is not through conscious learning, which is not to say you don't need conscious learning because you do, but the way that you right. get to a point you where you can actually, where you can actually, where you start to take ownership of the language, you can, you can, you can understand what you read, what you hear without always having to think about every word. And then you can actually speak yourself mm-hmm. with some level of, uh, or some degree of fluency that only comes when things just start to kind of bed down and, and, and your brain just gets, gets used to everything it's been learning. And in order to do that, you've got to take time off. And yeah. so, you know, it's very difficult to say how much and when, but in my experience, you know when that happens, when that, you know when that's needed. It's when you just feel like, oh man, I've been studying now for six months every day. I haven't made any progress. I'm not learning any, no new kanji stick. I'm not, you know, that's the prime kind of yeah. time 
to actually say, right, let's, I'm just going to take a month off. Screw it. I'm going to take a month off. And, um, and what you'll find is that your brain will refresh it. Not only will it refresh itself, but it will also mm-hmm. keep processing the stuff that you've been learning over the last six months in the background. And you'll, oh, come, yeah. and you'll come back much stronger uh, as a result. So that particular story you mentioned for me, uh, as I've been learning Cantonese for a couple of years, and I'd reached that point of saturation where I wasn't making any progress. I'd stagnated. And I actually kind of gone to Hong Kong with the intention of improving my Cantonese more, but just for various reasons, it didn't happen. I, I, I'd lost all motivation, uh, which happens, right? And, oh, yes. um, and I, I went away. I, I was, I'd kind of gone away. I think I'd gone to Thailand or something for a couple of weeks, for a week or so uh, on holiday. Went back to Hong Kong. I had to go and get my hair cut. And with this, with this guy that I'd had my hair cut with a couple of times before, I knew him. And I went in and I just like, I, I, mentally I'd already given up. On, I said, okay, during mm-hmm. this trip, I'm not going to learn anymore. I'm not going to study anymore. I, I forget it. I've had too, too much. You know, switch, it, switch, yeah. switch off. Pull the plug. So I kind of went in there and sat down and then just really without any expectations of myself at all, without any um, kind of what, any self-monitor, as Gresham would call it, like any, any uh, sort of, you know, when you're kind of speaking and monitoring yourself at the same time asking how am I doing with my speaking you know none of that stuff oh, yeah. just having the conversation just enjoying the conversation and it was just so much fun and so, and such a and such a successful conversation as well and it came because I had gone cold turkey and I just let myself relax and you know focusing on the on the on the on the basics of what a conversation between two people should really be and um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I made a video about it because it was such a, a powerful moment. That um, yeah, and the, yeah, it's it, it it's really quite a, quite important. That's I mean, it's like when you speak to someone in Japan, and Japanese people are uh, famous for being uh, very shy about their English ability. Um, notorious even for you know what you if you don't speak the language like my wife for example and she needs to communicate with somebody they're more comfortable doing hand signs or just taking you there rather than trying to you know string a sentence together um however if you get a japanese person um slightly buzzed or just get them uh slightly drunk or even very drunk um their english becomes wonderful (laughs) Because they stopped worrying about making that mistake. They stopped worrying about trying to cram all this, all these vocab words in. Because in Japan, they just cram vocab words. And they actually don't make conversation. But then they, you know, you kind of lose some of those inhibitions. And you're like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to talk to this person. And it's going to be great. Whatever. Yeah, and the, and the same works in reverse as well. I mean, I, you know, the number of times that I've... Uh, I Actually, I found that often... I, I don't get to. I haven't spoken much Japanese for the last few years, but because um, mm-hmm. I've been living here in, in London. Um, but when I the, the few times that I do, I actually find that I enjoy myself so much more than I ever used to in Japan. Yeah. Because it's just because it's funny, like the psychological thing. Of, there are no expectations mm-hmm. of you being able to speak Japanese here in in, in North London. <laughs> so if you ever have that opportunity to do so, <laughs> and you can just you know you just all you care about is you know having the conversation and speaking some Japanese and the reaction from people mm-hmm. is, 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 is so, is so, is, is so nice. And it's so, uh, the conversations are so much more fun. Uh, at least they have been in, yeah. in, in my case, because I haven't had to just, you know, psychologically fight that battle of, um, you know, how scared is this person right now 
being spoken to by mm-hmm. a foreigner, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, right. I'm exaggerating, but, but you know, that, that this kind of psychological dance oh, yeah. you, you, you do um, in so many different situations. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, it, it's difficult to, I think, difficult to know what to do with this concept or this information, really. Uh, it's difficult to know, because I don't think it's, it's easy to kind of take this and develop a language learning strategy from it. You know, like say, oh, you right. have to take a break, you have to take a month off every six months or whatever. But I think it's something just to be aware of because it's something that many people will have experienced um, themselves anyway. And uh, mm-hmm. and also to kind of just give people the confidence that if you if you are feeling this, the, if, you, if you're experiencing this overwhelm or this feeling of just saturation, that it's okay to take time off. It's okay to let yourself relax. And in fact, you, you have to do that if you want to then kind of regroup mm-hmm. and move on to the next level. That's right. That's that's perfect. And I think that's a great place to kind of wrap this up if you are, because they're probably, you know, thinking, you know, there's a lot of English for me. I need to uh, kind of t- kick back a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I really do appreciate you coming going on, Ollie. I've been, this has been a long time coming, being able to have you on the podcast and have people introduce people to your stories that they have online, your language learning uh, information that you have on Japanese, which is wonderful and wonderfully accurate. I went through it again today just to kind of breeze over everything. He's got a free downloadable PDF that gives you um, good information on how to start learning Japanese. Gives you how to why people think it's the hardest language but it's actually not and it really depends on what language you're also coming from and a whole bunch more good information on um, everything from different podcasts and language tools all the way to his books on his website which are also very useful and his blog check out his blog which is a lot of fun anything you want to put in for your last two cents there like uh yeah i guess i mean one of one of the i mentioned earlier that one of the things i've been that I, I i'm working on now is, is creating material for people to be able to that that is that comprehensible and compelling material right so people can learn in a more right natural way and one of the programs that we that we re-released it about a year ago actually it's called conversations and we have this available in japanese um and so it's specifically for anybody who is who's been learning japanese for a while they can already understand some mm-hmm. but they're looking to bridge that intermediate plateau you know the stagnation after the beginner phase um it's specifically aimed at improving listening skills, and it is an entire story-based program where we tell this story of this Japanese couple who move out into the countryside, and they um, and it's, it's like a kind of comedy in a way, like lots of things happen to them, and they have these kind of confrontations with these interesting Japanese characters in the countryside. But it's all uh, based around dialogues and, and conversations Wonderful. between people. So there's a lot of exposure to, to that kind of... Inter- intermediate level Japanese language and dialogues in Japanese and the aim of the program is to help you improve your listening skills so that you can get to that point where you can understand fast spoken Japanese so if that's of interest to people then they might like to have a look at that it's called conversations and it's available on on my website if you just navigate through to the, the learn Japanese section uh, you'll be able to find that there and all links will be down below in the show notes, too, if you don't want to have to type in the um, extremely long sentence of I will teach you a language or the acronym, um, yeah. then you can so you just click down below in the show notes and they'll take you right to it as well. So you can uh, find all those useful things there. But with that, we will sign off. And uh, remember, everybody, after 10,000 mistakes, you become fluent. So, 一緒に間違えましょう. それじゃあ、また明日。